listening to the Frugal Spender podcast, where we have conversations about the one thing you've always been told not to talk about, personal finance. Welcome back to the Frugal Spender podcast. This is episode number 45. I took some time off the podcast as I was focusing on spreading the good word of personal finance once again on other platforms such as Instagram and TikTok. And with work, family and general life, it's been really difficult to keep up with an episode every week. So I apologize to anybody who was listening weekly. I will do my best going forward to be consistent. And if you do get any value from my content, I'd be really grateful if you headed over to either TikTok or Instagram and give me a follow because I do post regular content about personal finance over there. That being said, I really like these long form conversations, whether it's just with me or with a guest. And I have a few potential guests that I'm in talks with, so you won't just have to listen to my dreary voice. Don't worry. So today I wanted to talk to you about theft in plain sight, but not in the way that you might think about it, and certainly not in the way that I used to arrest people for doing. No, no, this is a legal form of theft that affects me, it affects you, and it affects your family. In fact, it affects pretty much everyone, and that's inflation, something that could even be described as legal counterfeiting. Inflation is a silent yet potent force that erodes the value of money over time. And in the UK, as in many other countries, inflation is the hot topic in a recession or economic downturn. And if you've put the telly on recently, you will undoubtedly be told the latest figure, with a select few reasons given for why your eggs are costing more. Now, although inflation does not involve any physical force or direct coercion, it is insidious by nature and it diminishes the purchasing power for all citizens and it disproportionately affects the vulnerable and, in my opinion, it undermines the principles of economic justice. I'll try not to get too political. And this is a topic that I've spent a fair bit of brain energy on in the last year or so and it started when I started listening to a great YouTube channel called What is Money by Robert Breedlove. And a lot of his content relates to Bitcoin, which isn't what I'm here to talk to you about today in detail, but to him, Bitcoin is the resolution to the corruption around money and, most importantly, inflation. And if this is a subject that interests you, I would recommend checking out his YouTube channel called What is Money? A lot of what he discusses is around the monetary system, how it's set up, and, of course, its flaws. But the most interesting takeaway for me is the idea that inflation really is theft. Okay, now might be a good time to define what inflation is. Inflation is the general increase in the price level of goods and services over time. It is usually measured by the Consumer Price Index, or CPI, or the Retail Price Index, RPI. And inflation incurs for many reasons, including increased demand, rising production costs, monetary policy, and external factors such as global commodity prices. And by today's standard, a moderate and controlled level of inflation is often considered beneficial for economic growth and investment. And that's in a Keynesian economy like we currently exist in. But when left unchecked, it can lead to severe consequences, kind of like the cost of living crisis that we are currently experiencing. It is very important, though, to understand that CPI, the metric that is most commonly quoted when it comes to inflation, is artificial. And what I mean by that is it is made up by what is called a basket of goods and services, essentially the things that the quote average person consumes. Now, if you spend longer than 10 seconds actually thinking about that, it means that whatever the quoted inflation figure is, 
doesn't and cannot accurately apply to everybody. One person may live at home with their parents, order takeaways and watch Netflix all day and their inflation rate is going to be pretty low as the cost of things they are buying don't go up much year to year. Contrast that to somebody who owns a four-bed house, goes on multiple holidays a year, has two cars parked on the drive and likes to buy art. Their inflation rate is going to be much higher than average. And once you start thinking about inflation in this way, based on your scenario rather than what Jeremy Hunt tells you, you can feel more at ease or in some cases more scared, depending on what on earth it is that you're buying with your hard-earned money. At its core, inflation erodes the purchasing power of money. As the price of goods and services rise, each unit of currency can buy less, forcing individuals to spend more on the same goods and services that they previously could afford. If you imagine there are only 100 bottles of water for sale and £100 in circulation competing to buy that water, the cost might be around £1 per bottle. Now, if you inflate the supply of money to £200 competing for the same number of water bottles, the bottles will then be around £2. Now, this oversimplified example hopefully gives you an insight into the witchcraft known as money printing. And I do want to emphasize, though, that the theft of purchasing power via inflation hits those on fixed incomes or with limited financial resources the hardest, such as pensioners, low-wage workers, and the economically disadvantaged. Inflation is also particularly detrimental to savers, people who rely on interest earned from their savings or pensions to sustain their lifestyles. When inflation outpaces the interest rates offered by banks, the real purchasing power diminishes over time. Essentially, they are losing the value of their hard-earned savings without any fault of their own. In this way, inflation acts as a stealth tax, which is a more tactful, slightly nicer way of saying theft. But it is siphoning wealth from the most vulnerable segments of the society. If you ever spend time in the comment sections of videos around money, wealth, or even poverty, you will most definitely come across people blaming the big greedy corporations for underpaying staff and overpaying dividends to their shareholders. Now, although I may disagree with what many large corporations do and their pay conditions, I think more emphasis needs to be put on the overprinting of money and the issues that that has on income disparity. Wealthier individuals and corporations with great financial resources can often navigate inflation more effectively through investment and access to other financial instruments. On the other hand, individuals with limited access to these tools find themselves falling behind in a world where the cost of living rises, but their wages remain stagnant. Now, the solution I'm alluding to might be starting to shine through a little bit. To outpace inflation, you need to steer more in the direction of the financial decisions made by these big companies. Investing. Okay, so you might be asking, why blame the government for inflation? It really is crucial to recognise that governments play a significant role in controlling inflation through their monetary policies. Central banks have the responsibility of maintaining price stability and controlling inflation within an acceptable range. And failure to do this results in an indirect transfer of wealth from the citizens to the government, as the real value of taxes increases while services remain unchanged. Now, I use the word indirect, but the conspiracy theorist inside me Hmm, hints at the fact that maybe it's a bit more intentional than they're making out. One very important factor as to why central banks and the government have the ability to create money out of thin air by just adding another zero on a spreadsheet and essentially causing the money that you have in your pocket to be worth less is because our money isn't backed by anything. We, the US and much of the world, was once on something called a gold standard. 
This meant that all the money in circulation was backed by gold stored in a vault somewhere, and your money were just receipts for that gold. You, in theory, could go to the bank and exchange your banknotes for gold. And this is an important thing to know because the central banks couldn't just introduce more money into circulation without the gold to back it. And this was a great way of keeping the purchasing power of your money and preventing the cost of everything going up significantly over time. Interestingly, that 2% inflation target that the government arbitrarily aimed for is believed to have come from the time of the gold standard because 2% was about the average amount of gold that was mined annually and therefore put into circulation. Now, the UK left the gold standard in 1931 and the US in 1971 for a multitude of reasons that is outside the scope of this podcast. But it's important to know that we kind of moved on to a US dollar standard as over time it's become the currency that's used in most countries around the world, well, accepted at least in most countries around the world, and even oil is priced in the dollar. But this sparked the start of what is called as fractional reserve banking, which is essentially the banks being able to lend more money than they actually have and governments being able to buy bonds, which is a spiral that causes the UK to be in significant debt. And if you're interested in this subject, I would highly recommend looking a bit deeper into fractional reserve banking and the gold standard. And the reason that I mentioned that briefly is because I think it's important to know that the government play a much bigger role than they make out when it comes to inflation. They won't ever talk about money printing or leaving the gold standard as any reason as to why inflation exists at the rate it does. Instead, they will quickly point the finger at Russia or Brexit or anything other than what they are doing in plain sight. Now, I'm not an economist, but the UK government would have to combat inflation in our flawed monetary system and mitigate its harmful effects. One way they could do this is by adopting prudent fiscal and monetary policies. Now, I don't claim to know what these policies are, what they should be, but there's one thing that I am certain of. The government have not learned how to do a budget. Now, I appreciate the UK economy requires a little more than a 50-30-20 budget, but it certainly does not require going into £2.5 billion worth of debt. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of debt anyway, but it doesn't take a genius to realise that owing that much money is going to cause some problems in the economy. The ability to print money, buy bonds and finance the country's debt is all too tempting for the people at the top. Think about it. If you had an actual money printing machine at home that you could print money at will, I would imagine you wouldn't be too concerned about being in debt because every time you need to make a payment, you just print some more money. So ask yourself, where is the incentive to become debt free from the government perspective? Because the government really is doing exactly that, just at a much larger scale. So it's all very well saying inflation is theft and the system is screwed, both of which I believe to be true. But what can the average person like you and I do to minimise the effects of what we have no control over? And I've broken down what I have done and am currently doing into three simple steps. Firstly, you need to learn more about inflation. The good news is that the very fact that you're listening to a podcast like this means that you have enough curiosity about the subject of money that you are more likely to try and find a solution. Just like anything else that you want to be informed on, don't just read the headlines. The inflation figures are great talking points for the news, but having a base understanding that inflation is mainly caused by something called quantitative easing, a word you will hear often in the financial space that is simply an overly complicated word for money printing. Put in the groundwork to understand a little bit more about the economic system that we live in, the Keynesian economic system. Add this to your financial literacy toolkit. Secondly, 
You need to focus on what you can control and not what you can't control. The reason I put so much emphasis onto the personal part of personal finance is because I know that the best way to make a difference to your situation isn't by complaining about the government. It's by learning how to improve your own financial situation, then taking action, the important part. Learn about getting out of debt, building some savings, and then getting started and being consistent with investing. And in my opinion, that is the order you should do it, not financial advice. And thirdly, and once again, this is not financial advice, but you need to be investing. As I mentioned earlier, leaving your money in the bank, even at today's rates of around 5%, will still see you losing the value of your savings as inflation is still higher. And remember, that is just the quoted inflation figure. There's a very good chance that the actual personal inflation figure with your actual basket of goods is going to be higher. Whatever it is that you choose to invest in, whether it's index funds to Bitcoin, you need to know enough about what you are doing to ride out the ups and downs. Remember, investing is for the long term. It isn't about trying to just double your money in a year and then sell. That's called day trading. And the good news is you don't need to be an investing expert to do this. Just knowing the fundamentals is good enough. Or at the very, very least, not being ignorant about it. And I know I beat this drum quite a lot, but be curious and do some research. Find as many resources as you can, like podcasts and YouTube channels and Instagram channels and TikTok channels. Find something that resonates with you and become informed about these subjects. Don't just get something from one place. In an era where we have 20 second TikTok clips and our attention span is so minimal, it's now more important than ever to get your nose in a book or a long form podcast or YouTube channel and really get deeper into the weeds of what you're learning. It's easy to just quote what it is that you see, but unless you understand it, especially when it comes to investing, unless you understand that you're going to make impulsive decisions based on your feelings, when the stock market crashes, you're way more likely to sell because you just see, you know, scary headlines everywhere saying, oh, now's the worst time to invest. And then you're just going to regurgitate that and you're going to begin to believe it. If you understand that it's for the long term and riding it out is the best thing to do and all the research shows that because you've done the research, you are way more likely to do it. So the bottom line is the only way to beat inflation in today's economic system is by investing to outpace inflation. And by viewing inflation as theft or some sort of stealth tax that you have no control over, you can do everything in your power to prevent it from making the biggest impact on you that it can. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I know it's just words, but it means a lot to me. If you do get any value from the podcast, please do leave a five-star rating or review on whichever platform it is that you listen on. And I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.